My sister lay very ill in bed. Her sight was disturbed, her hearing was greatly impaired, and her speech was unintelligible. A suitable attendant was wanting for her, and so Biddy became part of our establishment. Biddy was not beautiful, she was common, and could not be like Estella, but she was pleasant and wholesome and sweet-tempered. She had not been with us more than a year when I observed to myself that she had curiously thoughtful and attentive eyes, eyes that were very pretty and very good. One Sunday afternoon, Biddy and I went out together. It was summertime and lovely weather. When we came to the riverside and sat down on the bank, with the water rippling at our feet, I resolved that it was a good time for the admission of Biddy into my inner confidence. Biddy? I want to be a gentleman. Oh, I wouldn't if I was you. I don't think it would answer. Biddy, I have particular reasons for wanting to be a gentleman. You know best, Pip. But don't you think you're happier as you are? Biddy, I'm not at all as happy as I am. I am disgusted with my calling and with my life. Don't be absurd. Was I absurd? I'm sorry for that. I didn't mean to be. I only want you to do well and to be comfortable. Well, then... Understand, I never shall or can be comfortable anything but miserable. There, Biddy. Unless, unless I can lead a very different sort of life from the life I lead now. That's a pity. If I could have settled down and been but half as fond of the forge as I was when I was little, I know it would have been much better for me. You and I and Joe would have wanted nothing then. And Joe and I would have perhaps gone partners when I was out of my time. And... I might have even grown up to keep company with you, and we might have sat on this very bank on a fine Sunday. Quite different people. I should have been good enough for you, shouldn't I, Biddy? Yes, I'm not over-particular. Instead of that, see how I'm going on. Dissatisfied and, and, and uncomfortable and... What would it signify to me being coarse and common if nobody had told me so? It was neither a very true nor a very polite thing to say. Who said it? The beautiful young lady at Miss Havisham's. And she's more beautiful than anybody ever was. And I admire her dreadfully. And I want to be a gentleman on her account. Do you want to be a gentleman to spite her or to gain her over? I don't know. Because if it is to spite her, I should think, but you know best, that might be better and more independently done by caring nothing for her words. And if it is to gain her over, I should think, but you know best, she was not worth gaining over. It may all be quite true, but I admire her dreadfully. I am glad of one thing, and that is you have felt you could give me your confidence, Pip. <sighs> Shall we walk a little further or go home? <sighs> Biddy. I shall always tell you everything. Until you're a gentleman. If I could only get myself to fall in love with you. <laughs> you don't mind my speaking so openly to such an old acquaintance. Oh dear, not at all. Don't mind me. If only I could get myself to do it. That would be the thing for me. But you never will. It was in the fourth year of my apprenticeship, and it was a Saturday night. There was a group assembled round the fire at the Three Jolly Bargemen.
From information I have received, I have reason to believe there is a blacksmith among you by name Joseph or Joe Gargery. Which is the man? Here is the man. You have an apprentice, commonly known as Pip. Is he here? I am here. The stranger did not recognise me, but I recognised him as the gentleman I had met on the stairs at Miss Havisham's. I wish to have a private conference with you two. Perhaps we'd better go to your place of residence. Our conference was held in the parlour, which was feebly lighted by one candle. My name is Jaggers and I am a lawyer in London. I have unusual business to transact with you and I commence by explaining that it is not my originating. Now, Joseph Gargery, I am the bearer of an offer to relieve you of this young fellow, your apprentice. You would not object to cancel his indentures at his request and for his good. You would not want anything for doing so. Lord forbid that I should want anything for not standing in Pip's way. Lord forbidding is pious but not to the purpose. The question is, would you want anything? Do you want anything? The answer is no. Very well. Now, I return to this young fellow, and the communication I have got to make is that he has great expectations. I am instructed to communicate to him that he will come into a handsome property. Further, that it is the desire of the present possessor of that property that he be immediately removed from his present sphere of life and be brought up as a gentleman. In a word, as a young fellow of great expectations. Now, Mr. Pip, I address the rest of what I have to say to you. You are to understand first that it is the request of the person from whom I take my instructions that you are to always bear the name of Pip. You will have no objection, I dare say, to your great expectations being encumbered with that easy condition. But if you have any objection, this is the time to mention it. I have no objection. I should think not. Now, you are to understand secondly, Mr. Pip, that the name of the person who is your liberal benefactor remains a profound secret. You are distinctly to understand that you are most positively prohibited from making any inquiry on this head, however distant in all the communications you may have with me. Again, not a very difficult condition with which to encumber such a rise in fortune, but if you have any objection to it, this is the time to mention it. Speak out. I have no objection. I should think not. Now, Mr. Pip, I have done with stipulations. There is already lodged in my hands a large sum of money, amply sufficient for your suitable education and maintenance. You will please consider me your guardian. Oh, thank oh, you, Mr. I tell you at once, I am paid for my services or I shouldn't render them. Oh. When will you come to London? I suppose I could come directly. First, you should have some new clothes, and they should not be working clothes. Say, this day week? You'll want some money. Shall I leave you 20 guineas? Well, Joseph Gardry, you look dumbfounded. Well, I am. Well, Mr. Pip, I think the sooner you leave here, as you are to be a gentleman, the better. No more low, wet grounds, no more dikes and sluices, no more grazing cattle. Farewell, monotonous acquaintances of my childhood. Henceforth, I was for London and greatness. Next morning, Joe brought out my indentures and we put them in the fire. I went to the tailors and the hatters and the bootmakers and the hosiers. I also went to the coach office and took my place for seven o'clock on Saturday morning. So Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday passed. And on Friday morning, I went to pay my visit to Miss Havisham. Well, Pip? I start for London, Miss Havisham, tomorrow. And I thought you would kindly not mind my taking leave of you. This is a gay figure, Pip. I have come into such good fortune since I saw you last, Miss Havisham, and I am so grateful for it, Miss Havisham. Aye, aye. I have seen Mr. Jaggers. 
I have heard about it, Pip. So you go tomorrow? Yes, Miss Havisham. Well, you have a promising career before you. Be good. Deserve it. Abide by Mr. Jagger's instructions. Goodbye, Pip. You will always keep the name of Pip, you know. When I was on the coach and it was clear of the town, I deliberated with an aching heart whether I would not get down when we changed horses and walk back and have another evening at home. We changed and I'd still not made up my mind when we changed again and yet again and it was now too far to go back and I went on. And the mists had all solemnly risen now and the world lay spread before me. We Britons had at that time particularly settled that it was treasonable to doubt our having and our being the best of everything. Otherwise, I think I might have had some faint doubts whether London was not rather ugly, crooked, narrow and dirty. Mr Jaggers had duly sent me his address. It was Little Britain, just out of Smithfield. Is Mr Jaggers at home? He is not. He is in court at present. Am I addressing Mr Pip? Yes, sir. Mr Jaggers left word would you wait in his room. He couldn't say how long he might be, but it stands to reason, his time being valuable, that he won't be any longer than he can help. Mr Jaggers's room was a most dismal place. There were some odd objects about, such as two dreadful casts on a shelf of faces peculiarly swollen and twitchy about the nose. Pray, whose likenesses are these? These? These are two celebrated ones, famous clients of ours that got us a world of credit. This chap murdered his master and, considering he wasn't brought up to evidence, didn't plan it badly. Is it like him? Like him? It's himself, you know. The cast was made in Newgate, directly after he was taken down. You had a particular fancy for me, didn't you, old artful? Ah, Mr Pip, you're to go to Barnard's Inn to young Mr Pocket's rooms, where a bed has been sent in for your accommodation. Here are the cards of certain tradesmen with whom you are to deal. You will find your credit good, Mr Pip, but I shall by this means be able to check your bills and to pull you up if I find you outrunning the constable. Of course, you'll go wrong somehow, but that's no fault of mine. Wemmick will walk you round to Barnard's Inn. Good day, Mr Pip. Casting my eyes on Mr Wemmick as we went along, I found him to be a dry man, rather short in stature, with a square wooden face, whose expression seemed to have been imperfectly chipped out with a dull-edged chisel. So, you were never in London before? No. I was new here once. Is it a very wicked place? You may get cheated, robbed and murdered in London, but there are plenty of people anywhere who do that for you. When he said we were at Barnard's Inn, my depression was not alleviated by the announcement. We entered into a melancholy little square that looked to me like a flat burying ground. I thought it had the most dismal trees in it, and the most dismal sparrows, and the most dismal houses that I have ever seen. 
while dry rot and wet rot and all the silent rots that rot in neglected roof and cellar, rot of rat and mouse and bug and coaching stables near at hand, addressed themselves faintly to my sense of smell and moaned, try Barnard's mixture. Ah, the retirement reminds you of the country. So it does me. He led me into a corner and conducted me to a set of chambers on the top floor. Mr Pocket, Junior, was painted on the door and there was a label on the letterbox. Return shortly. You don't want me anymore? No, thank you. If at any odd time, when you have nothing better to do, you wouldn't mind coming over to see me at Woolworth, I could offer you a bed and I should consider it an honour. I would be delighted. Well, thank you. Have you been invited to dine with Mr Jaggers yet? Not yet. When you go to dine with Mr Jaggers, look at his housekeeper. Shall I see something very uncommon? Well, you'll see a wild beast tamed. It won't lower your opinion of Mr Jaggers's powers. Keep your eye on it. Good day. Mr Pocket Junior's idea of shortly was not mine for I had nearly maddened myself with looking out for half an hour before I heard footsteps on the stairs. Mr Pip? Mr Pocket? Oh dear me, I am extremely sorry. The fact is, I have been out on your account, not that that is any excuse, for I thought, coming from the country, you might like a little fruit, and I went to Covent Garden Market to get it good. Pray come in. Uh, I am rather bare here, but I hope he'll be able to make out tolerably well. Uh, this is our sitting room. This is my little bedroom, rather musty, but Barnard's is musty. And this is uh, your bedroom. I trust it will answer the purpose. As I stood opposite to Mr Pocket, Junior, I saw the same starting appearance come into his own eyes that I knew to be in mine. Lord bless me! You're the prowling boy! And you are the pale young gentleman! gentleman and I stood contemplating one another in Barnard's ear. The idea of it's being you! The idea of it's being you! <laughs> well, it's all over now, I hope, and it will be magnanimous in you if you'll forgive me for having knocked you about so. Um... You hadn't come into your good fortune at that time? No, no. I was rather on the lookout for good fortune then. Indeed. Yes. My father is Miss Havisham's cousin. She had sent for me to see if she could take a fancy to me. If I had come out of it successfully, I suppose I should have been provided for. Perhaps I should have been what you may call it to a stellar. What's that? Oh, affiance, betrothed, engaged, was his name. Any word of that sort. Oh, how did you bear your disappointment? <laughs> I didn't much care for it. She's a tartar. Oh, Miss Havisham. I don't say no to that, but I meant a stellar. That girl's hard and haughty and capricious to the last degree and has been brought up by Miss Havisham to wreak revenge on all the male sex. What relation is she to Miss Havisham? None, only adopted. Why should she wreak revenge on all the male sex? What revenge? Lord Mr Pip, don't you know? No. Dear me, well, it's quite a story and she'll be saved till dinner time. 
Will you do me the favour to begin at once to call me by my Christian name, Herbert? Thank you, I will. My Christian name is Philip. I don't take to Philip, for it sounds like a moral boy out of the spelling book who was so lazy that he fell into a pond. I tell you what I should like. We are so harmonious and you have been a blacksmith. Would you mind it? I shouldn't mind anything that you propose, but I don't understand you. Uh, would you mind Handel for a familiar name? There's a charming piece of music by Handel called The Harmonious Blacksmith. <laughs> I should like it very much. We had made some progress in the dinner when I reminded Herbert of his promise to tell me about Miss Havisham. Uh, let me introduce the topic, Handel, by mentioning that in London it is not the custom to put the knife in the mouth oh. for mm. fear of accidents. Mm -hmm. It is scarcely worth mentioning, only it's as well to do as other people do. Now, concerning Miss Havisham, her father was a country gentleman down in your part of the world. Her mother died when she was a baby, and her father denied her nothing. Mr. Havisham was very rich and very proud. So was his daughter. Miss Havisham was an only child. No, she was not an only child. She had a half-brother. He turned out riotous, extravagant, undutiful, altogether bad. At last, his father disinherited him. But he softened when he was dying and left him well off. Though not nearly so well off as Miss Havisham. And Miss Havisham was now an heiress and was looked after as a great match. Now I come to the cruel part of the story. There appeared upon the scene a certain man who made love to Miss Havisham. I never saw him, for this happened five and twenty years ago, before you and I were Handel. He practised on her affection in that systematic way that he got great sums of money from her. The marriage day was fixed, the wedding dresses were bought, the wedding guests were invited, the day came, but not the bridegroom. He wrote her a letter. Which she received when she was dressing for her marriage at twenty minutes to nine. At the hour and minute at which she afterwards stopped all the clocks. She laid the whole place waste and she has never since looked upon the light of day. Is that all the story? It has been supposed that the man to whom she gave her misplaced confidence acted throughout in concert with her half-brother. That it was a conspiracy between them. You said just now that Estella was not related to Miss Havisham, but adopted. When adopted? There has always been an Estella, since I have heard of Miss Havisham. I know no more. And now, Handel, there is a perfectly open understanding between us, and, as to the condition on which you hold your advancement in life, namely, that you are not to inquire or discuss to whom you owe it, you may be very sure that it will never be encroached upon or even approached by me or by anyone belonging to me. <laughs> he said this with so much meaning that I felt that he perfectly understood Miss Havisham to be my benefactress, as I understood the fact myself. By the post next Monday morning, I received a letter. My dear Mr Pip, I write this letter by request of Mr Gargery, for to let you know that he is going to London and would be glad, if agreeable, to be allowed to see you. No more, dear Mr. Pip, from your ever obliged and affectionate servant, Biddy. P.S. He wishes me most particular to write what larks. He says you will understand. Let me confess exactly with what feelings I looked forward to Joe's coming. If I could have kept him away by paying money, I certainly would have paid the money. Joe! How are you, Joe? Pip! 
How are you, Pep? I'm glad to see you, Joe. Which you have growed, and that swelled, and that gentle folk. As to be sure, you are a honour to your king and country. And you, Joe, look wonderfully well. Ah! Joe, this is Mr. Herbert Pocket. Herbert, this is Mr. Joe Gardery. Oh, uh, how do you do? Which I hope, as you and Pip, I mean to say you two gentlemen, which I hope as you get your elves in this close spot. Uh, do you take tea or coffee, Mr. Gargery? Thank ye, sir. I'll take whichever is most agreeable to yourself. Uh, well, what do you say to coffee? Thank ye, sir. Since you are so kind as to make a choice of coffee, I will not run contrary to your own opinions. But don't you never find it a little eaten? Well, say tea, then. I was heartily glad when Herbert left us for the city. Us two being now alone, sir. Joe, how can you call me sir? Us two being alone now, and me having the intentions and abilities to stay not many minutes more, I will now conclude, or least the ways begin, to mention what I've led to my having had the present honour. Well, sir, I were at the bargeman t'other night, Pip, when there came up in his shakar Pumblechuck, and his words were, Joseph, Miss Havisham, she wished to speak to you. Miss Havisham, Joe. <clears throat> Go on, please. Her expression, ere then, is following. Mr. Gargery, would you tell Mr. Pip that which Estella has come home and would be glad to see him? I have now concluded, sir, and Pip, I wish you ever well and ever prospering to a greater and a greater height. But you're not going now, Joe. Well, yes, I am. But you're coming back to dinner, Joe. No, I am not. Pip, dear old chap, life is made up of ever so many partings welded together, as I may say. Divisions among such must come and must be met as they come. If there's been any fault at all today, it's mine. You and me is not two figures to be together in London. You won't find off so much fault in me if, uh, supposing as you should ever wish to see me, you come and put your head in at the forge window and see Joe the blacksmith there at the old anvil. <laughs> and so, God bless you, dear old Pip, old chap. God bless you. It was clear that I must repair to Satis house the next day. I ascended the staircase, in light of Utsdon of Yore, and tapped in my old way at the door of Miss Havisham's room. Pip's rap. Come in, Pip. How do you do, Pip? She was sitting in her chair near the fire. Sitting near her was an elegant lady whom I had never seen. Well? I heard, Miss Havisham, that you were so kind as to wish me to come and see you, and I came directly. Well? The lady whom I had never seen before lifted up her eyes. And then I saw that the eyes were Estella's eyes. Do you find her much changed, Pip? When I came in, Miss Havisham, I thought there was nothing of Estella in the face or figure. But now it settles down so curiously into the old... What? You are not going to say into the old Estella? She was proud and insulting, and you wanted to go away from her. 
Don't you remember? Is he changed? Very much. When we had conversed for a while, Miss Havisham sent us two out to walk in the neglected garden. I must have been a singular little creature to hide and see that fight that day. But I did, and I enjoyed it very much. You rewarded me very much. Did I? I remember I entertained a great objection to your adversary. He and I are great friends now. Are you? Since your change of fortune and prospects, you have changed your companions. Naturally. And necessarily. What was fit for you once would be quite unfit company for you now. Do you remember the first day I came here? No, I don't remember. Not remember that you made me cry? No. You must know that I have no heart if that has anything to do with my memory. I got through some jargon to the effect that I knew better. That there could be no such beauty without it. Oh, I have a heart to be stabbed in or shot in. And of course, if it ceased to beat, I should cease to be. But you know what I mean. I have no softness there, no sympathy, sentiment. I'm serious. If we are to be thrown much together, you had better believe it at once. We went back into the house, and Estella left us to prepare herself for dinner. Is she beautiful? Graceful? Well-grown? Do you admire her? Everybody must who sees her, Miss Havisham. Love her! Love her! Love her! If she favours you, love her. If she wounds you, love her. If she tears your heart to pieces, love her! Love her! Love her! Hear me, Pip. I adopted her to be loved. I bred her and educated her to be loved. I developed her into what she is, that she might be loved. Love her. Far into the night, Miss Havisham's words sounded in my ears. I adapted them for my own repetition and said to my pillow, I love her. I love her. I love her. One day, when Herbert and I were together at Barnard's Inn, I received a note, the mere outside of which threw me into a great flutter. I'm to come to London the day after tomorrow by the midday coach. I believe it was settled you should meet me. Yours, Estella. My dear Herbert, I have something very particular to tell you. My dear Handel, I shall esteem and respect your confidence. Herbert, I love... No, no. I adore Estella. Exactly. Well? well? Well, Herbert, is that all you can say? Well? What next, I mean? Of course I know that. How do you know it? How do I know it, Handel? Why, from you? I never told you. Told me? You have never told me when you have got your hair cut, but I have senses to perceive it. You have always adored her, ever since I have known you. <sighs> Very well, then. I've never left off adoring her, and now she has come back a most beautiful and elegant creature. And if I adored her before, Herbert, now I doubly adore her. <laughs> Lucky for you then, Handel, that you are picked out and allotted to her. And now, Handel, I want to make myself seriously disagreeable to you for a moment, positively repulsive. You won't succeed. Oh yes, I shall. One, two, three, and now I'm in for it. Handel, my good fellow, can you not detach yourself from her? I told you I should be disagreeable. Oh, my dear Handel, think of her bringing up, and think of Miss Havisham. Think of what she is herself. Now I am repulsive and you abominate me. This may lead to miserable things. I know it, Herbert, but 
I can't help uh, you. You can't detach yourself? No, impossible. You can't try handle. No, impossible. Well, now I'll endeavour to make myself agreeable again. Stood in the inn yard, Estella seemed more delicately beautiful than she had ever seemed yet, even in my eyes. I'm going to Richmond, and to have a carriage and you are to take me. This is my purse and you are to pay my charges out of it. Oh, no. oh, you must take the purse. We have no choice, you and I, but to obey our instructions. We are not free to follow our own devices, you and I. A carriage will be sent for, Estella. Will you rest here a little? Yes, I am to rest here a little and I am to drink some tea. And you are to take care of me the while. I requested a waiter to show us to a private sitting room. How do you thrive with Mr. Pocket? I live quite pleasantly there, at least. At least? As pleasantly as I could anywhere, away from you. <gasps> you silly boy! How can you talk such nonsense? She held her hand out playfully. I took it and put it to my lips. You ridiculous boy! Will you never take warning? Or do you kiss my hand in the spirit in which I once let you kiss my cheek? If I say yes, may I kiss the cheek again? You should have asked before you touch the hand. But yes, if you like. I leaned down and her calm face was like a statue's. Now, you are to take care that I have some tea, and you are to take me to Richmond. As I had grown accustomed to my expectations, I had begun to notice their effect upon myself and those around me. I perceived, above all, that it was not beneficial to Herbert. My lavish habits led his easy nature into expenses that he could not afford. Oh, my dear Herbert, we are getting on badly. They are mounting up, Handel. Upon my life, they are mounting up. Be firm, Herbert. Look the thing in the face. Look into your affairs. Stare them out of countenance. Oh, so I would, Handel. Only they are staring me out of countenance. for you, Handel, and I hope there is nothing the matter. The letter was signed Trab and Co, and its contents were simply that they begged to inform me that Mrs J Gargery had departed this life on Monday last, at twenty minutes past six, and that my attendance was requested at the interment on Monday next at three o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> Great Expectations was written by Charles Dickens. This production was adapted by Marcus Baisley and narrated by Jeremy Drakes. It featured Christopher Anderton as Joe, Wemmick and Drummle, Marcus Baisley as Compasson, Porter and Galley, Jessica Bryan as Miss Havisham, Victoria Hamblin as Estella and Mrs Joe, William Hollyhead as Herbert Pocket, Dylan Lincoln as Magwitch and Pumplechook, Rosie Marsh as Biddy, Alexander Pankhurst as Sergeant and Jaggers, and Rupert Sadler as Pip. The title music is Moonlight Hall by Kevin MacLeod at Incompetech.com, licensed under Creative Commons. Recorded, designed and edited by Andrew Crane, Great Expectations was produced by Helen Johnson in association with Blackshaw Theatre Company and Cyphers Theatre Company.
Life's a game. The world's a stage. And we are all merely role players. Join members of Blackshaw Theatre Company as they try on all the many roles there are to play. You are Blackshaw Theatre. Nobody else knows. You're also investigators of inexplicable happenings. (laughs) Deputies of federal law enforcement. Master thieves and con artists. Hooray! (laughs) Merely role players, where theatrical people play role-playing games. New episodes every week, new stories and new genres every season. Just search for Merely Role Players wherever you find podcasts.